In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This is the last uh, Sunday in the season of Epiphany. <clears throat> Pre-Lent begins next week, and we begin that sort of purple seasons that prepare us for Easter. The first three seasons of the church year all focus on the Incarnation. Advent prepares us for it, Christmas celebrates it, and then Epiphany reveals it, shows us how Jesus is revealed as the Son of God. Beginning next Sunday, we shift our focus from the Incarnation to the Resurrection, which Lent prepares us for it, Easter will celebrate it, and the seasons that come after will reflect upon its meaning. Today is noteworthy for our closing hymn, which is also known as the Burying of the Alleluia. Today is the last Sunday we will, the Sunday we will say Alleluia in church until Easter. The gospel begins to point us forward because it is a parable about the future judgment. The parable of the wheat and the tares is one of the few parables for which Jesus gave us an explanation. So it always seems kind of irresponsible to talk about it without actually saying what Jesus said it meant. The disciples said to Jesus, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And Jesus said this, quote, he who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed means the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as tares are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers, and throw them into the furnace of fire. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. Then the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's always interesting that Jesus is always straightforward about things. We talk about judgment, we beat around the bush, and Jesus just, boom, boom, it's going to happen this way. The key to understanding the parable, or a key, is to understand what a tear is. Tears are not just any kind of weed. They are a particular kind of weed that is sometimes called darnel, and it's a kind of weed that looks like wheat in all this early stages of growth. The main distinction between the darnel and the wheat is that the darnel doesn't produce any fruit, whereas at the end of the growing process, wheat has an edible grain, brownish, that you can do various things with. Darnel produces a black center that actually can be poisonous. And tares were a serious enemy to farmers in the East, and sometimes they were, they were plentiful. And if they were consumed, they could make you dizzy, sick, make you have diarrhea. And the malice shown by the uh, people in the parable in planting the tares was apparently not uncommon. It was not uncommon for, say, uh, a, uh, a farmer who was evicted by the landlord or who departed in that arrangement on unfavorable terms to, as an act of malice in departing, sow some tares in the field so as to undermine it. 
The parable helps us to understand the nature of judgment. The standard objection to the idea that there is a judgment is to betray it as though God arbitrarily sort of sends people off to hell. The parable teaches us that judgment is not a sort of last minute thumbs up or thumbs down depending upon God's mood at the moment. Rather, judgment is essentially a revelation of our essential character. Whether our lives are organically connected to God through the gift of the Spirit and producing the fruit in our lives that the Spirit produces, or whether they are not connected to God and we are therefore essentially fruitless. The parable also reveals an essential characteristic of evil. Evil often appears good at first glance. It is often indistinguishable from good. But its true character is revealed in what it produces over time. This is the reason temptation is tempting. Evil presents itself as something attractive, something that will give us what we want right now without having to embrace the cross of our Lord, the suffering of our Lord. But it never delivers its promise over the long run. It looks good, but it doesn't produce anything that is good. So what is this fruit and how is it produced in us? Perhaps the most well-known passage about fruit is Galatians 5 that tells us that, quote, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, we might conclude from this and passages like that that if we want to be a good Christian, we need to try real hard to be loving, peaceful, patient, and self-controlled. And from this, we might conclude that the Christian life is really about trying to do these things so that when we appear before God on the judgment day, we can say, see what I've done? However, biblical fruit is not synonymous with good human behavior. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in us organically as the Holy Spirit works in our lives to root out our sin and to plant new virtues and new holiness in its place. Just as a seed must be planted, watered, fertilized, and given sunlight and time to grow, so we must practice a sort of spiritual horticulture for the fruit of the Spirit to be produced in our lives. And the first step in our spiritual horticulture is to be convicted of our sin. This softens our heart because the Word of God and the Spirit of God cannot take up residence in a hardened heart. Our hearts are softened when we become aware of our spiritual sickness and become willing to let God come into our lives and change us. Conviction leads to repentance. We remove the evil that is in our hearts through honest confession. And then the next step is faith. 
we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we ask him to fill us with his gifts, faith, hope, and love, and the good thing he plants within us in the place of what has been removed through confession. When we turn to God with repentance and faith, the Holy Spirit begins to do his work in us. And the organic result of this process over time is that our lives produce fruit. This is not the same as merely trying to do good things. When we skip the process of conviction, repentance, and faith, the good we do is not the fruit of the Spirit because it's not the result of the Spirit's work in our lives. It is merely our good performed on the level of what the Bible calls the flesh. And it is influenced by our own interior motives, goals, agendas, and desires. This is the reason that the priority of the Christian life must always be our disciplines of worship and prayer and the reading, the study, the meditation <coughs> on God's word. Apart from prayer, apart from the habitual reception of God's grace, we literally cannot live the Christian life, cannot fulfill the will of God, and cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. The essential character of false religion is that it focuses on outward behavior but skips the process of repentance and faith, the interior transformation of the heart. Thus, it may lead people to do good things, but it cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. Our liturgy embodies this pattern of spiritual horticulture. We come to the altar of God to be both convicted of our sin and instructed in God's word. Conviction leads us to confess our sin, to root out the evil that is in our hearts. And then we receive Christ in the sacrament. And as we receive him, we receive new grace and new virtue. And then we leave the altar to do the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in, as the liturgy says. These good works are the fruit of the Spirit because they are the result of this process of repentance and faith and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The life of prayer that we so continually emphasize in our church is the way we habitually practice this pattern of turning away from sin through repentance, turning to Christ through faith, and doing the good things that God has prepared for us. As we continue in this pattern and process over time, God produces his fruit in our lives. And this work that God is doing in us will be revealed on the day of judgment. The fruit of the Spirit takes time to produce. A plant grows from a little seed to a fruit-bearing tree through a long process that involves the cultivation of the ground, the planting, the watering, the fertilizing, receiving sunlight. 
God produces the fruit of the Spirit in us as we continue in our prayer over time. The things that we cannot overcome by our natural strength will be overcome by God's grace if we continue to make our good confessions, continue to turn to Christ and receive him by faith, and continue to practice the new behavior that he has prepared for us to walk in. And for this, we need patience and we need perseverance. As Jesus said, quote, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.